Welcome to How Leaders Lead. I'm David Novak, and I'm here with the cool Kula Callahan. Kula, how was your week? I had a fantastic week. How was yours? Oh, fantastic. You know, I, I got to play a lot of golf and actually won a couple things, which was really fun That's for me. incredible. Can we talk about that for 20 <laughs> seconds at least? What'd you win? Well, I became the oldest person in the history of Shinnecock, the famous golf course where the U.S. Open has been played a few times, to win the Shinnecock Club Championship. Let's go, David. Not the senior club championship. I'm talking about the regular club championship. So let me tell you something. It was a really special week for me. And then I followed that up by shooting a 69, which is my age at National Golf Links. I don't know what happened to me. I, I think I had an out-of-body experience, but, <laughs> but it sure was fun. So, And I had my grandkids with me. I had Audrey, Luke, and Claire with me, and, and my daughter, Ashley, and her, her husband, John. We had a great, great week. And it, I, I think I lived a, a Walter Mitty week. I had a grin on my face. In fact, I still have a grin on my face. I don't know how you couldn't have a grin on your face after all that, especially the club championship and with your whole family there. It's so fun. Congratulations. Uh, thanks, Cool. I appreciate it. All right. Well, in today's three more questions episode, we're doing a deep dive into the conversation that you had with last week's podcast guest, who was Rob Manfred, the commissioner of Major League Baseball. And I happened to go to a Major League Baseball game yesterday. I'm in Atlanta and I went to a Braves game at Truist Park and it was so fun, but I felt like I had the inside scoop on everything because I had just listened to your episode with Rob. Well, you also need to uh, listen to my episode with Terry McGurk. He's the uh, chairman of the Atlanta Braves, and he basically was the man behind Truist Park, which is one of the greatest baseball uh, fields in the world. I mean, this guy is great. And of course, the Atlanta Braves won the world championship last year. And, and I actually met Rob Manfred playing golf with Terry McGurk, who's an excellent golfer. Both of them are. Did you beat both of them on the golf course? Uh, no, I think they they probably <laughs> waxed me. You know, I, I got lucky this past week. I don't know if that's luck, but it's something. It's probably a, just a lot of skill and practice. But uh, if you haven't already heard that interview with Rob Manfred, go back into the feed and be sure to give it a listen. Rob has this superpower of finding common ground, which is really hard to do when you're in a position like his. He has so many people he has to keep happy. The 30 owners, the players, the union, and the fans of baseball. It's a tough, tough challenge. That's for sure. And I want to get into our three more questions with you, David, putting you back in the hot seat. You ready for it? All right, let's go. Come on. Question number one of three more questions is this. As the commissioner of Major League Baseball, Rob's name is on every single baseball used in the Major Leagues. What does it mean when you put your name on something like that? Well, I think all of us have to take accountability for certain things. And when you put your name on something, it really creates a seriousness to what you're all about. And you have the ultimate accountability. You want to be passionate and committed to making sure that whatever product comes out, whether it's Major League Baseball in Rob's case, or whether it's a great presentation in your case or something that you do, you know, you're really putting your stamp of what you're all about when you take ownership of things. And boy, when you put your name on it, I guarantee you uh, that says, hey, this really does matter to me. You know, it was really interesting to, to hear uh, Rob talk about the signature on the baseball because when I was a kid, you know, I used to collect Major League Baseballs and I love to get autographs of Major League Baseball players and my prized possession 
is one with Mickey Mantle, the, the Hall of Famer. And, you know, I just loved Mickey Mantle. And, you know, I loved going to games and being that person that would try to catch that foul ball. I mean, it's so <laughs> exciting when those foul balls are coming your way. And I actually had the great honor of catching a couple of them when I was a kid living in Kansas City, Missouri. I went to the Kansas City Athletics when they were there before they went to Oakland. But, you know, Major League Baseball is so much a part of what America is. It's iconic. And, you know, it's it's something that every kid grows up with. You know, my little grandson, Luke, he's seven years old and he was wearing his Boston Red Sox t-shirt this week. And, you know, he loves the Red Sox because his other, other grandfather lives up in the Boston area. And, you know, I just love that. It really is America's pastime. And in the interview, when you go back and listen to it, you'll hear Rob talk about how he really does want to keep baseball as America's pastime. And I think that's such a inspiring and really beautiful sort of personal mission for him. I love it. All right. Moving right along to question number two. Rob has had to negotiate some pretty controversial agreements over his time as commissioner. What's been your approach, David, to finding common ground? Well, you know, one of the things that I did as CEO of Young Brands is I had a lot of negotiations with franchisees on contracts, territorial rights, fees. And, you know, it's always very controversial. And and franchisees basically start with the orientation that they're going to outlast you. You know, you're the new guy. You might be the CEO of something, but they've been running their business for 30 years and you're going to go and somebody else is going to come along. And they also have this great, great propensity to understand history. Everything and anything that ever has gone wrong and who has duped them in the past and whatever. So there's a lot of distrust. And, and you got to break that down if you've got a controversial thing that you need to attack. And my approach was... You have to extend trust first. You have to take the high ground. You got to need to let them know that you trust them and that you're going to honor everything that you say. You know, when people are getting really sort of nitpicky and not conducting the way how you think they ought to conduct, just let it roll off your back. Take the high ground. Let them make a fool of themselves. And you don't have to tell them that they're being an idiot. You don't have to tell them that they're a fool. Just, you know, let them do their thing. And then you come back and be the reasonable person. And the reasonable person always wins out. And so I really believe it's really important to number one, be the first to extend trust. Number two, take the high ground. And three, be that reasonable person that ultimately becomes very hard to say no to. Can you give some example of, this is not one of the three more questions, by the way, but I'm curious if you have a story or an example about a time where it was really, really hard for you to take the high ground and not call somebody who was being a fool a fool. Oh, well, you know, we had the ultimate fool at KFC when I was the president of KFC. The KFC franchisees, they had all the contractual rights for marketing. So anything we wanted to do from a marketing standpoint, we had to get approved by the KFC franchisees, which is the reason why KFC in the United States is so far behind a Chick-fil-A, because the franchisees were just trying to protect Colonel Sanders' vision of basically, we're going to do fried chicken on the bone, sell it in buckets, and have this little small box that we can get great returns on. And, you know, even now, you know, KFC's proud that they've got a new chicken sandwich, but it took them 30 years longer than it should have. And it was because it was very hard to get the franchisees to act 
because they were trying to protect what they had versus necessarily grow what they had. And I realize that's sort of a one-sided view, but you know that is my view of the situation. But they had this committee and they had 13 people on the committee. It was the ultimate bureaucracy. We had three people representing the corporate side on the committee and majority won, okay, in terms of, of whether we were going to do something. So we had to always sell everything. And they had this one guy who was the head of the association who loved it. He was a lawyer. He ran the meeting with Robert Rules of Order. I'm talking, this is in the year 2000. You know, I mean, this guy was yesteryear and he just loved it. He's a big Southern and guy and he would bellow out things and he loved to hear himself talk and he would knew all the history and he'd sit there and, and write notes and, you know, on his legal pad the whole way. And man, did I have to like suck it up to deal with this guy? It was everything I could do. And, and I have to be honest with you, I lost it with him a couple of times. But you know what? If you got to get something done, you got to figure out, out the way to skin the cat. And mm -hmm. I would go after every vote so that we could get the majority in the end. And uh, by and large, we really were able to turn around KFC because I extended trust and I, I built trust with franchisees and they ultimately believed that I had their best interest at heart. And I think that's what always works out in the end. I would have loved to have seen you lose it on somebody back in the day, just arguing no, about fried chicken. I don't think chicken. you would have. I, it, it wasn't my proudest moment. And by the way, when you do lose it, you realize I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Why did I do that? You know, I just played right into that guy's hand. You know, mm -hmm. come on, David, you're better than that. And, you know, taking the high ground is always the right thing. And yeah. I think when you do, a lot of times you can shame these people who are real jerks into doing the right thing. And we all run into those jerks, trust me. Yep, we definitely all run into those jerks. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure, I'm sure a few of them thought I was a jerk too at times. So, you know, and you got to realize that too. People aren't always going to see you the way how you think you ought to be seen. So that's why you, you really got to uh, understand the lay of the ground and find a way to, to find that win-win. Looking for that win-win situation is always key in any negotiation. Okay, now moving on to the third question of this Three More Questions episode. Rob was an established lawyer and a partner at a law firm before he got into baseball. Now, to some, that might seem like an unlikely transition, but he did it with great success. And I'm curious, have you ever made a career jump that seemed unlikely to some? And if so, how did you manage people's opinions and expectations about your ability? Well, it's really interesting, you know, listening to Rob's story is that, yeah, he was able to make that jump from basically being a, a lawyer to the commissioner where you have to cover all aspects of the business. But I'm sure he demonstrated to his mentor, Bud Selig, and to the owners that he had that capability to go beyond just being a lawyer. And when I was coming up in business, I was a marketing person, cool. I mean, that was my specialty. And I actually ran marketing and sales for the Pepsi-Cola company, which was, I think, arguably one of the biggest marketing jobs in the world, certainly at that time. And I used to go see Wayne Calloway every quarter. He was the chairman of PepsiCo. And he was a financial guy, background, just a wise, wise person, incredible man. I And I love Wayne. I was actually the pallbearer at his funeral. And, you know, he was just a special, special person to me. But he'd always, uh, when I went over there, he'd always ask me what was going on and what I was doing on the marketing front. And finally, he asked me, he said, David, what do you want to do in your, your career? 
And I said, well, I want to be a president of a PepsiCo division. Now, I didn't care which one it was. It could be Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, KFC, Frito-Lay, Pepsi. didn't matter. I just wanted to be a president of a division. And he said, David, you're a really good marketing guy. And I said, but Wayne, I want to be a general manager. I want to be a president of division. He says, David, you are a really good marketing guy. I said, Wayne, I want to be a president of a division. He says, David, you're a great marketing guy. And he said, you know what? We need more marketing talent at PepsiCo. I'll make you president of PepsiCo marketing. I said, no, 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 I, I, I don't want that. I want to be a division president. I want to be a, a general manager. And when I walked out of that office, I knew I had a high self-awareness that I had to demonstrate to Wayne Calloway that I was more than a marketing guy. And as luck would have it, three months later, the chief operating officer job for the Pepsi-Cola company came up. And I went to my coach, my boss at the time, Craig Weatherup, and I said, Craig, you got to give me this job. He says, well, you don't know anything about operations. I said, listen, I will learn it. I will get, I'll work with the best people. I'll do whatever it takes, but I need to demonstrate that I'm more than a marketing guy or I'm never going to achieve my career goals, which is to be a division president. And if I don't do a good job in operations, you can fire me or you can put me back in marketing, but give me a shot at it. And Pepsi-Cola was a great company. PepsiCo always was working on developing their talent. And they put me out of my comfort zone and they actually gave me that opportunity because Craig could see that I had enough interest in the other areas that I could actually develop the skills to win. But I wouldn't have, I didn't know my way around a bottling plant. I didn't know anything when I went into that job, but I knew that to survive, I had to go to the people that did. And that's what I did. And they helped me get through it. Uh, we developed a lot of great things and it was a lot of fun. And, and it was the reason why I ultimately got the chance to become president of, of KFC, which led me to become the CEO of, of Young Brands. But, you know, I think the big learning that I had there was, number one, have self-awareness. Understand what people think about you. Once you have self-awareness, look at what you need to do to grow, and then develop a plan. Three, when opportunities pop up for you to really attack that plan and make progress in that plan, seize that opportunity. And then four, when you get that opportunity, make the most of it. And then I think when that happens, you'll achieve what you want to achieve in your business career and life. You know, this theme of self-awareness has come up a lot in our discussions on this podcast and also just about the business itself. And I think that that's such a key piece of advice for leaders really at any phase in their career. It's something that I believe you can always continue to develop. So I love that that kind of has woven itself into a lot of our conversations because it is such a critical skill to great leadership. Well, let me tell you something. You know, if you listen to these podcasts that I do with these great leaders, you realize they're very self-aware. They know themselves. You know, I think that is a, a trait that every leader needs to develop. And remember, the only way you're going to really get that is you got to ask people what they think. Okay. And you got to really want to listen to it. Well, David, that's a wrap for today's three more questions. It was so fun getting to dive deeper into some of these topics with you. And uh, thanks to your interview with Rob Manfred and Terry McGurk, I now feel like I could be commissioner of the Major League Baseball League. <laughs> so uh, perhaps I'll make a career job myself. Well, cool. If you've got that in your gut and that's what you want to do, go for it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, at this point, I'm going to be kind of like Wayne Calloway and say, I don't really see that. Okay. <laughs> 
Well, thanks again for tuning in to another episode of How Leaders Lead. We're on a mission here to make the world a better place by developing better leaders. And if you carve out a little time each week with us, we'll help you build the confidence you need to lead well. Great, Kula, and thank you very much. We'll see you on Thursday for my conversation with Don Sweeney, the former CEO and president of the National Restaurant Association. You're going to love learning from Don.